Welcome to Aligned Expressions, the new podcast series by Sherry Burton Stein. In this series, we'll be talking everything from home, lifestyle, yoga, and feng shui. And I am your host, Sherry Stein, and it is a pleasure to have you connecting, growing, and learning with me through Aligned Expressions. Hi, welcome to Aligned Expressions Podcast. My name is Sherry Stein. I am an integrative wellness consultant and author of two books, Landing on Your Feet and Putting Down Roots, 21 Rituals to Transform Your Life and Interior Space and Feel Good Spaces, Decorating Your Home for the Body, Mind, and Spirit. I guide midlife women to release blocked energy, create healthy living spaces using intentionally inspired rituals through my company, SBW Aligned Expressions. Grab my new complimentary ebook, Inspired Sanctuary, Rituals to Create a Happy, Healthy Home for Women Over 40 ebook. This primer provides intentional tools for women over 40 to consider to enhance wellness and emotional resilience in their homes or living spaces that support the challenges that many women in midlife face. Go to www.subscribepage.com forward slash inspired sanctuary when you sign up for my monthly newsletter. You can follow me on social media at Instagram at wellnesssbw or check out my website at www.sbwalign.com. This podcast is free and a labor of love. However, to help us continue sharing the wisdom of my guests, as well as my wisdom, I welcome you to one, share, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite platform. And two, consider making a small donation to help keep this unique podcast going. Go to anchor.com. Aligned Expressions, click support and you can make a donation between 99 cents to $9.99. I appreciate the the support. (laughs) This interview um, that I am airing today was recorded back in September 2022, National Yoga Month. And I featured one of my favorite yoga therapists and yogis, Melissa Agari. And she is a certified yoga therapist with the International Association of Yoga Therapists, 500-hour registered yoga teacher, Yoga Alliance continuing education provider, holistic life coach, and stress management specialist. She focuses on intuitive and mindful movement to optimize self-awareness, regulation, and vitality. I brought on Melissa because I am studying yoga therapy and I feel that she is one of the most influential yoga therapists of our time. 
She focuses on mental and emotional hygiene by utilizing mind-body practices that addresses imbalances from a holistic lens. Her multimodal approach provides comprehensive experiences that are both intentional and informational, aiding you to step into your power. She is the author of two books, including From Deserts to Gardens, a collection of breath Blooms and Light, which was published in May 2020. As I mentioned before, this interview was recorded in September 2022 during National Yoga Month. I am very interested in sharing about yoga therapy and how it influences your mind, body, and emotional resilience. And I felt that Melissa is the perfect person for that month to discuss what yoga therapy is about and how it can help individuals like yourself gain resilience, strength, and emotional support. So join me as I bring on Melissa for this wonderful sharing. How are you? Thank you for joining us today. Good. I'm so excited to be here and honored. I know that we've been connected for some time, so I feel like it's kind of full circle for us to cozy up and dive in. Oh, yeah. I am just so excited to interview you and talk a little bit about yoga, yoga therapy, and everything in between. So let's just dig in. Um, So if you could tell my listener about yourself, your journey, into becoming first a yoga teacher and then second, a yoga therapist. Of course. Well, this was back in 2010, 2011. Um, I was introduced to yoga in the basement of grief in 2009. And that was when my journey with yoga began. And at the time, I was a sophomore in high school in 2008, 2009. I had lost my best friend in a car accident along with another good friend. And it like crawling my way out of that hole, I didn't realize how much yoga was going to be something that would realign me. It was more so at the time, I kind of used it for staying skinny, right? Like being Mm -hmm. a young girl. And I was like, that was just something I kind of became addicted to in a way every morning before school, moving into my junior year. It was something I was consistent with and which is for me surprising. I was like, just every morning, I just wanted to be in that space. And then, you know, naturally I was the captain for the soccer team. So brought it there. And by the time I got to college, um, my husband, I got married very young and he was preparing, he, he went to the military. So I was, he was preparing for deployment and I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with my future. And there was a, at the university, I went to um, the University of Asheville or in North Carolina or UNC Asheville. It's been so long since I've said that. <laughs> UNC Asheville. And um, the yoga teacher I had, she had an article that she shared with me because she knew that my husband was deploying. And it was I, socially, you know, I... Between from my classmates and like my community, I felt kind of isolated and, and was kind of on my own path because I was so young in a committed married relationship, navigating those things, not sure what I wanted to do. I was a writer, always did poetry and 
I just didn't know where my place would be in the world, but I knew I loved my husband and I wanted to be with him. And she gave me this article before he deployed and it was how yoga can help those with post-traumatic stress and after deployment. And I read that and I was like, this is what I want to do. And she had recommended that I train at the uh, Asheville Yoga Center in Asheville, North Carolina. And I trained with Stephanie Keach and her team. And it was a therapeutic 200 hour. Now at the time, you know, IYT, so the International Association of Yoga Therapists, they didn't have the CIYT or those types of accreditations yet. You know, it was kind of a membership organization to be part of the community for the future of yoga therapy. And Stephanie had brought that into our training to let us know about it. And I really resonated with this is the path I want to take. So right away, I became a member and there wasn't really rules on calling yourself a yoga therapist or not, you know, I just right away, I was like, I'm into yoga therapy. I'm a yoga therapist. And I laugh, you know, I look back to my 19 year old self, you know, um, I dropped out of college, moved to Fort Bragg uh, when my husband came back and we started our life there and I'm, I'm 19 and I'm, you know, promoting myself as a yoga therapist and building my private clientele. And I collaborated and helped open a studio. So I had a full panel of one-on-one clients and um, wow. I was developing programs for the Wounded Warrior Project, teaching for the Warrior Transition Battalion, teaching for MWR. So I was full schedule and working with one-on-one clients during that time frame you know, applying this stuff and almost, you know, like we had some operational definitions of yoga therapy, but not precisely. And just getting to really see the impact that it had on these people from uh, a lot of my clients were elderly. So they were navigating uh, different illnesses. They were dealing with mobility issues and depression was really common. And then I had my military world, right? Of families and what comes with all that. So those were my cl- kind of my client paths, but I ended up doing my RYT or the 300 hour to become a, and that was a therapeutic program as well. This was in 2013. So by the end of that, I was, you know, full blown calling myself a yoga therapist and building my business. And, you know, eventually it came into, um, by 2016. And I, we were talking before this, that actually I was the youngest yoga therapist to in 2016. And I think it wasn't till, I mean, I'm assuming probably by 2019, I was no longer the youngest yoga therapist in the world, but I did. I was definitely, I remember being at a sitar conference and they announced it and I just went like cold. I was like, Oh, that's me. Like, (laughs) you know, and everybody, it was like the youngest, this is this. And then the oldest. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, you know, but starting in the career so young, there was definitely challenges that came with that. And insecurities of, am I, you know, here I am as a yoga therapist, I, on paper, my career is showing up as like, I have clients and I'm helping people, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guiding people in their facilitation of healing and their transformation. And, you know, I'm continuing to have partnerships and growing, you know, so on paper, it's like the work is being done, but I navigated my own insecurities of ageism and different things like that in the industry for sure. So you own your own studio, Mel Marie Yoga, and you are located in Texas. Yeah. Yep. Now I'm located in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. So tell us about how did that come to be? How did you come to getting your own studio up and running and and serving your clients? 
Well, in 2015, we got orders to PCS, which means we had to leave Fort Bragg and move. And I was devastated because I had a really solid community there. And um, to start from scratch, just it felt like a death. It was so hard. And so it took me a little time uh, in 2015. And I started doing teacher trainings in 2016 through partnering um, with some studios. But by 2017, um, as a military spouse, right, it's kind of like you don't want to do a brick and mortar. Like that's insane. Because why would you spend all that money to start a brick and mortar when you know you could be leaving? But I felt really called to advocate and negotiate what the terms of my brick and mortar would be. Because I felt very called to open my own space. And, you know, Mel Marie, there's a lot of story around the, the evolution of the name anyways. But the that was kind of like my, you know, that was my LLC. And that's what I did. And I partnered in Fayetteville. So naturally, I built a reputation as that. And so when I opened Mel Marie Yoga, I sat down with the landlord and I'm like, listen, I'm military. We're military. What? I need to have some type of something that if we get orders that I can, you know, cut the lease. And I was really shocked. I was prepared to leave that that meeting, like going mm-hmm. home being like, nope, didn't happen. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, some of the terms, I was like, he's they're not gonna agree to this. Like I'm right. insane. <laughs> I was like, if it's meant to be, like what's for me won't miss me. So that's right. You know, it doesn't hurt to ask. And and he's like, yeah, no problem. Okay, sure. And just adding it to the lease. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Like, this is going to open. I'm really going to open a studio. So I was kind of tripping, but um, <laughs> and like, I was like, okay, I guess this is meant to happen. And it did. And then so open Mel Marie, uh, Mel Marie Yoga. And yeah, built my private clientele, ran programs and workshops. I had a lot of partnerships in San Antonio from, you know, uh, addiction recovery nonprofits mm. to uh, an art nonprofit that works with oncology patients to um, survivors of sexual assault, like all types of different partnerships. The collaboration has always been, you know, I, I believe there's power instead of reinventing wheels. If we just amplify what one another are doing and support one another, we can be really effective together. So um, had classes, all of that stuff. And then I ended up opening a studio up in Bernie by 2019. I had, my, I ended up, Melmarie got full. So I opened up a private clinic in 2019 as well for my one-on-one yoga therapy stuff. And then I also partnered with the USO in 2019 and opened the first yoga studio on a military base. Awesome. Um, so. I am just so impressed with you. And oh my goodness. Do you do coaching for yoga teachers who want to do what you're doing and and how you kind of nuance yourself in a way to create these opportunities for yourself? Absolutely. I have, we have a, or I do a one-on-one. So I'm really big on like one-on-one mentoring and that's on my website. And then I have a program called Redefined because I think that at this point, you know, when you look at all this magical stuff happened, but then the pandemic hit and I really, I reoriented, I closed things down. I pivoted how I wanted to be in with more alignment where I felt called to be versus managing and running a lot of different things. And so that actually birthed my program Redefined, which is redefining how we're showing up in the industry. Mm. I think as far as the yoga industry goes, there's so many impressions of what yoga is or what it should look like. Or if you think about in teacher training, 
and this might be a little challenging to for some people to listen to this to realize, but you know, when you look at Yoga Alliance's requirements on business of yoga, yeah, it's I mean, it's within mythology, which is 20 hours in the training in a 200 hour. But within that, business of yoga is on that list. But there's a lot of things that are really important on that list. So business of yoga gets like looked over very easily. You know, there might be some business of yoga, but I think that because a lot of trainings don't effectively train people on business savviness and professionalism and innovation and, you know, profitable partnerships, like you don't, yoga teachers aren't learning that in training. So what happens is, is they're thrown out into the industry and they're trying to find their way. And, you know, they, they're taught the path is teach at studios. And obviously it's very hard to make a living doing that. Even owning oh, yeah. a studio, it's hard to make a living doing that. And so people get really frustrated because they walk this because they wanted to pursue what they're passionate about yeah. and make a career out of what they love, but they didn't learn the tools of you know, entrepreneurialism and all these pieces. And I think that's where you see the ugliness in the yoga community where people solicit from one another, or there's, there can be a lot of sketchiness in business in the yoga industry. I'm just saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen some of that in my own (laughs) stuff. But I would say from a compassionate and empathetic perspective, it's that we were never taught, like it was never a focus. If we were equipped on professionalism and innovation and how to do this, not just in yoga studio settings, but in private sector, public sector, corporate, all of those things, then people would find their home and where they want to play in the industry and stop in this scarcity cycle. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's, that's something that I just observe. And that's why I created Redefined. Love it. So September is National Yoga Month. And the purpose of the month is to promote health and wellness through yoga, you know, looking at the benefits of yoga and inspiring a healthy lifestyle. Uh, What are your thoughts about National Yoga Month and and the purpose of it? And this is through, I believe, the National Institute of Health um, established this. What are your thoughts around that? Well, I always think about how Anything that plants seeds for the community mm-hmm. and socializes opportunities for this work is great. It makes me think of the autobiography of a yogi right. and their journey of bringing this to the U.S., right? Of like how they're like, we want to be into science and we want to be in, you know, we're physics. Like yoga is physics and, you know, how a lot of the universities and like the physics communities like, yeah, no, because they wouldn't divide spirituality and science in yoga. Like there was that. And I just think about how far we've come from being thrown just into these like religion summits, which yoga is not a religion. We all know that. Yeah. All these, like these things where it was just kind of passed to the side somewhere versus recognizing the value, the science and the efficacy of yoga. So for the NIH to include this kind of stuff and um, for it to be acknowledged in our culture, I think it's, I think it does our lineages like a blessing. Like it's like, yeah, we're getting there. Like we are, yoga is being socialized. Yoga is accessible. And I'm always behind things that make yoga accessible to common people. Awesome. So what is the difference between yoga and yoga therapy? I know we've been talking a lot about your journey into yoga and then as a certified yoga therapist. But let's talk to our listener who may 
maybe they're listening for the first time and even hearing this word yoga therapy and they're trying to determine which type of yoga teacher might be better for them? Yeah, this is a really good question. And I think it has decades of like figuring out like the, the industry itself trying to solve and figure out how to convey and articulate this. Right. So technically yoga therapy involves an assessment and and a maintenance of that assessment. So you are assessing your clients and then you're delivering yoga therapy tools, which is really anything in the scope of Vedic wisdom, right? Mm So asanas, mudras, mantras, um, Ayurveda, like there's a lot of different things in our our toolbox, so to speak. And, but I love the definition of, you know, it's guiding clients to be an agent of their own healing through yogic wisdom. And, you know, someone might say, but wait a second, isn't a yoga teacher doing that? And yes, in a way, most pretty much yoga does what yoga does. So a lot of yoga teachers are doing that. Uh, but on paper, it really is like more of a clinical process where, you know, there's an assessment and we're watching like what is what's effective, what's not. And it's when I look at how I deliver yoga therapy, right? A client may purchase a package of eight sessions or several months. And then we are working through a progressive journey together, applying different yogic tools. And um, currently, I'm not doing as much of that as I, I've kind of started stepping into Vedic astrology and Joytish. So the science of light and applying more Joytish into my yoga therapy work. But, you know, there's a lot of different expressions, almost like there's so many styles of yoga teaching. There's a lot of different styles of yoga therapy. And I would say that each provider is different in their own vibe of how they approach it. And when if you're looking for a yoga therapist, you know, on their website, read about their, a little bit about their background, read about the way they conduct the service, because that's going to tell you kind of what you're going to get. I would say not all yoga therapy is the same. You know, it's, but I know we're working in that. We're trying to build out this scope and IOIT has cultivated the definitions. Um, there's, there's on their website, there's a whole scope of practice to help understand, you know, the difference of, you know, even like between a psychotherapist and a yoga therapist, there is a fine line, but it's very clear that in yoga therapy, we're not pulling from these psychological models. We're pulling from, Vedic wisdom and yoga philosophy. And the big guide is we're not looking to diagnose or like the assessments are not designed to diagnose. It's designed to help us identify what needs to be pacified through yoga techniques. And in that, how do we empower patients or clients to participate in that journey through their own self-inquiry and their own self-recovery and their own self-maintenance? Awesome. I love that. So there are different types of yoga therapy um, that deal with both the emotional side and the physical side. Tell me how you work with both of those sides of the therapeutic process. Well, I'm big in, like in with Mel Marie, one of our uh, missions and, and concepts is to guide people in living like they practice. And so I'm really big on guiding people through inquiry. And I use the kosha model. So if, for those who don't know, this is like, if you think about a Russian nesting doll, mm-hmm. you have like the outer layer is the body, take that off. The next layer is energy, take it off. 
instinctual mind, take it off, discerning mind, and then bliss. So I put it together and I hand you this doll and I'm like, find, how do I get to bliss or how do I get to the mind? You got to go through the body, through energy to access these deeper domains. So I will use the yoga, like yoga asanas and breath work as a, an instrument for practical inquiry and self-reflection. And I really love to coach and guide people on that. And then how in our external, like what are we connecting with on the external to reinforce what we're changing in the internal? So like not only our lifestyle, but even your home, like, and I know cause you're in the feng shui. So yes. <laughs> how your home, how your environment, the people that you're like the energies of people yeah. that are coming into your field. So I like to do more of an integrative approach, applying mind, body, medicine, lifestyle, wisdom and application, and then using the yoga practice as a way to retrain the nervous system, to reroute neural pathways in the brain so we can deepen into our self-awareness leading to that self-connection. Wow. So we hear, well, first of all, I just wanted to inform our listener that IYT means... Uh, yeah, um, what what is my brain on? I A Y T. That's I A Y T. It's uh, the the International Association of Yoga Therapy. Got it. Um, so as we are talking about, it, I'm a member, but I'm not a certified member. Um, I join. I am working on my 300 hour now, and I'm doing uh, work in the area of uh, yoga therapy. So uh, one of the areas that I'm most interested in, and, and you have touched on this even before our interview, is uh, trauma-informed yoga, um, trauma-sensitive uh, yoga. And there, you also see a lot of practitioners talking about yoga for stress and anxiety, yoga for depression, and then this trauma-informed, trauma-sensitive yoga. Can you give us like a difference between these various types of yoga? Are they different? Are they the same? What, what can you say about that? Because I'm sure you have worked with all of these emotional states. Yeah, well, it depends on the individual. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of variables that come into, like if a client is coming with depression, from a yogic scope, I know that depression is a problem with prana, right? Mm -hmm. That there's a depletion of prana. So we want to do things to gently begin to activate more energy and opening in the body, more breath in the body. But with that might be compounded chronic pain, right? Mm. And when you have, what, what's so cool about yoga is that it's multifaceted and that one thing can actually be benefiting several different things. This is why you can see people will go to, I don't know, a gym or something online that might not be trauma sensitive, like in the scope of what a trauma informed training would say, mm -hmm. but yet that person's going to tell you that yoga changed their life and helped them to help them heal. Mm. from their trauma. So why, you know, when we think about it, I believe that yoga does what it does in the sense that, sure, there are classes that there can be harm done. And when you're not mindful of the space and the welcoming and the invitational language, like when you're not really offering that and clients are disassociating to perform and keep up with you, yes, I believe that can sever the potential of healing yoga has. 
However, yoga is designed to be the journey back into reclaiming ourselves. So when I look at these trauma-informed trainings, or even in my own programs of how I guide and train my teachers or my trainees, you know, it's about being more intentional. Mm. So naturally, a lot of these things are happening, sure. But if you spend special attention to how you you present yourself in the space and the welcoming energy that you bring in to just the intentional language where you say things like at your pace, when you're ready, if you'd like, and or find your own adventure, make it, giving them options to have agency in the practice and choose. And then of course, things that are going to integrate breath, mind and body at the same time, like a sun salu- a gentle sun salutation or a breath centric flow. Those things are going to mend more effectively than these fast paced, perform, perform, disassociate practices. So I don't, I don't want to say that it's like only, I, I think that yoga does what yoga does. And like, even for me, I came from like Rodney Yee DVD from Target yoga in the beginning. And then the classes I was taking in person, total different. But the, yo- the yoga with Rodney Yee, it had, didn't really have these traits. It was very much, I mean, it was very Ashtanga. I had no idea at the time, but you know, it was very structured, right? Where I still was benefiting, even though he didn't paint it with all this trauma-informed language or techniques. So I think we could just be more effective by understanding these things like stress reduction, right? I mean, most pathology is related to stress, caused by stress or amplified because of stress. So we know stress is an epidemic in our country. But the reason yoga is so effective for that is by the way that we just naturally incorporate more exhales, forward folds, down regulation in the practice. So I would say it's not because it, it one, it depends on the client who's showing up. Mm-hmm. and the uniqueness of that individual and the variables of their life. But then it also, you can amplify the efficacy through the traits and techniques that trauma-informed yoga teaches and guides. I propose that we should always teach trauma-informed. I think when we start to get stuck in these like categories of, well, only for this community or you know with this person, like we start missing out on the human that's in front of us. All humans have endured some capacity of trauma And when we meet people as people and see them as the human in that moment as they are, and then tailor experiences for what's showing up versus regurgitating things we've memorized, I think that like that's the shadow side, I think, of some of the trauma-informed stuff is that we start walking on eggshells with people and we don't see them as humans. You know, we got to remember, you got to earn the right to know people's stuff. Like, you know, if you're a trauma-informed teacher, you, you can be passionate and excited about this stuff. But at the end of the day, anybody who's shown up at the table with you, you see them as a human first and mm. then trust that the techniques, the traits, like they are the agent of their healing, not you. They are the agent. I absolutely love what you just said, because even in my teaching, I teach in my community. Um, some of my listeners may know that. And I really come to it with an understanding that everyone, particularly since COVID-19, is on a personal journey. And Mm -hmm. there has been some level of trauma that has occurred one way or the other, whether it's through isolation, whether it's through uh, losing a loved one to COVID, whether, whatever it is. And I love your approach of meeting people where they are 
and structuring the practice with the understanding of cueing in such a way that keeps everyone feeling safe and included in the process. And that's how I teach. And when I end my classes and someone comes up to me and says, I absolutely love the class. Thank you so much. They're telling me in their own way that they feel seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And I have been teaching various people of various shapes and sizes, races, identities, you name it. And I believe, as you believe, that using trauma-sensitive or trauma-informed cueing, languaging, those things matter. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I I just automatically, I've been trained in that. I automatically just teach that way. And I did an online class recently and someone said, you know, I had depression coming into this class and you alleviated it. Mm -hmm. And I did not go about specifically designing a class for depression. but. I use various techniques that I've been learning, mudras and other asanas and other things. And and that was the, you know, I had no idea this person had depression or anything. So I just wanted to to state that and and bring that uh, forward because you really, I, I agree with you. I think all classes should be cued, language, no matter what, um, should be cued in such a way that it brings in a level of trauma sensitivity. So thank you for, for stating that. And speaking of that, I know you work with military spouses and members of the military, which I think is just amazing. I see you in your pictures on Instagram with all these big curly <laughs> men and you just are standing your ground and you are teaching these people very confidently, not looking intimidated or anything, and you're taking them through these <laughs> sequences and so forth. So I just wanted to know a little bit more about the work that you do with military families and and members of the military um, and, and how you approach your teaching with that community. Yeah, they are my people for sure. So, and I mean, one one thing to know is that it's that's it kind of like blends over what we were saying is at the end of the day, people are people. Right. And the the military brings a unique culture of a lot of um, bypassing and suppressing and not really thinking for yourself as much, right? And so what's really fun is I, by bringing the trauma-informed, and I I struggle even saying that because I think there's so much of a stigma of like, if I teach a trauma-informed class to somebody, that means they have trauma. And then that it's so confronting, right? But I just think- I agree so much. These techniques are for everyone because like if I apply in the military context, So if there's an issue with self-regulation and behavioral problems and mental health issues, part of it, there's two aspects to this. The first is the state of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. If you have a hyper-aroused and hyperactive nervous system, it depletes the ATP in your prefrontal. It depletes executive function to see the big picture, 
to thoroughly think through tasks or make decisions. So you got this overactive amygdala activity happening with your limbic brain. So there's a lot of reaction. And it's hard to turn that off if you don't do exercises to downregulate your nervous system. So I look at, and again, I think all people benefit. I would not say that my teaching for the military is extremely different than it in the civilian world. Because with the military, I mean, maybe I might use more language that, you know, like mental performance, recovery instead of shavasana, uh, performance statements instead of intentions, right? Like I have different language I might use with them because it resonates. But as far as the sequencing and practice, a lot of it is very similar because like I said, yoga does what yoga does. And if we're addressing the nervous system to help optimize brain function and their their thoughts and re- responses to their environment, and especially with patterns and their you know um, like proprioceptive awareness for training, combative tasks, et cetera, et cetera. Because I I train all, a lot of my work. It's not just fulfilling unit requests. I develop programs for the U.S. Army. So. I am one of their mindfulness experts and different units will pull me in for advising, a keynote speaking, a subject matter expert on different things to help guide uh, the way that they're bringing this stuff into the whole military. I mean, um, I'm actually the second study that's ever been done in the U.S. Army on yoga and the efficacy. We saved the U.S. Army 22 or $24 million and brought attrition down to 2%. So this work is making waves and, you know, I joke big army is what I call them, but big army is they're scaling it. They're wanting to bring this stuff everywhere, but it's about the context and the way that we position it to be socialized. And then the other piece of it is when you give people options, that's where they get to reclaim themselves. So part of the sequencing, I give a lot of options for whether it's like to find child's pose or you could be here or you could be here you know, or go at your own pace and getting them to do that for this community, that's extremely hard. And immediately they get, they're like, what is everybody else doing? Right. But it's helping them train themselves in self-trust. And that's a big thing that you see when soldiers are getting out of the military, people are retiring that challenge with identity and knowing who they are beyond the uniform is a crisis we're hand, we're navigating on the back end. So if we're proactive in cultivating self-regulation and self-identity for soldiers so they can come together and contribute in their uniqueness to the collective mission, now we're not only building resilient soldiers, but we're building soldiers who have meaning with their work. And then they have meaning as they walk into the next chapter after they leave the military. So I absolutely love that. I am a daughter of a uh, retired military person. And uh, my father was uh, in the United States Air Force for 20 years. And it, I remember as a child that he was very, he had a lot of trouble actually integrating into civilian life. And it was because of some of these things. Now, this was back in the 70s, so I'm <laughs> aging yeah, yeah. myself here. But, you know, at that time, you know, you didn't have... These things that we have now, you know, yoga and wellness and meditation and, you know, they were around, but they were for certain populations that had access to these things. So that's why the military is always heavy in my heart, because I I grew up in my early years around uh, military bases and in that those communities. And those communities are so unique and so different. Um, that unless you have experienced it or have lived in it, 
um, you know, a lot of people may or may not understand uh, some of the nuances around that. So I just am naming that and saying, you know, thank you for bringing that forward. So you are an author as well. Yeah. and I was really curious about this book that I saw on your website called Innate Design, Implementing Self-Healing Techniques for the Modern Patient. Tell me about that book. And you had co-authored that book with a physician, correct? Yes. Yeah, tell Dr. Hodeback. Okay. Tell me about that. Yeah. So that started um, through a conversation. Uh, One thing that he was navigating was seeing a lot of patients who want quick answers, quick results, which we know that that led to drug dependency and different things. So how do we provide lifestyle interventions that can be given that are accessible and help people understand the potential of lifestyle choices as far as medicine goes? And this, this was written during the time that lifestyle medicine started to really pick up mm-hmm. and, you know, with all the work Dean Ornish was doing. And so I brought the perspective of the chakras and working with the chakras as far as lifestyle goes. And through the book, what I, what it is, it's designed to like, you kind of have a problem. Here's some solutions or practices. So each chakra, there's practices with those chapters. There's a summary to understand how this looks in our life and with our health and then ways to use it as adjunct. So um, we came together and brought, like he brought his perspective as a medical provider and he's a, he was a U.S. Army family physician. So this again, military medical and his perspectives. And then what I understood from the energetic, yogic and chakra modality and merging the two to make it accessible. Because I think when it comes to the chakras too, you know, sometimes it can come off as very esoteric or this out of touch thing. Uh, And I'm really passionate about people, helping people understand what it is and from a neurobiological standpoint in our body and how important these centers are as far as our neuroendocrine system goes Mm -hmm. and how it affects a lot of our regulation, our lifestyle. So the book is just seeped with a bunch of gems and lots of different information and self-reflection skills as well to aid, you know, lifestyle application. Awesome. I, I, I am going to get the book uh, because I thought that the whole approach of, of you and, and uh, the work that you were doing with medicine or traditional medicine and looking at the intersection between the two was quite interesting. So thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Well, I, be- I believe wholeheartedly yoga, like when I look at where I play in the yoga industry, right? And like what I do in the world, I don't really see myself as much in the yoga industry as I see as proactive health and part of the medical community. Yoga has a really unique home and opportunity mm-hmm. for prevention for maintenance, for rehab, for education. Like when we look at where we fit in the scope, especially with all these stress-related illnesses, there's so much opportunity, but part of it is because it's new. It's up to yoga teachers and yoga therapists to walk forward and propose ideas and innovate. Like what I've done with the U.S. Army and that's now only taken off and really exciting things are coming and are happening that some I can't share here. Some you can go look on millmindbody.com and see, but it's exciting how much they are receiving it. But it's not necessarily that it's a hype as much as it's like we are actually solving problems 
And that yoga has a is uniquely positioned to support people in sustainable healing. And so, you know, I think for anybody listening to this, especially if you're a yoga teacher and this is stuff that interests you, there's so much room at the table because there's so many people, so many institutions, so many places that are looking for this kind of support. Well, awesome. You you answered my last question was, you know, where do you see yoga therapy as a profession going in the future? And I think that it's going to increase because of the fact that there are many organizations, corporations, the military, uh, colleges, universities, hospitals, uh, clinics, uh, those who do therapy, psychotherapists uh, are really looking at how we can use our bodies to create Uh, wellness within ourselves and to heal ourselves. And part of that is through yoga. So I want to say thank you for that. So what's next for Mel Marie Yoga? Um, Where can we find you? Talk to me about what's happening. Yeah, so I will continue to be doing teacher trainings and educating and equipping yoga teachers, whether it's through mentorship. Um, you don't have to be a yoga teacher to do coaching and work with me in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have our 200 hour, 300 hour. It's a lot. We have, yes, here in Texas, but the program, we also have a module format that includes one on one training. So that's available to you online, but it's all live stream. So it's not pre recorded. You'll be working with me, but that's an option if you want to dive deeper into this. Um, I have some exciting partnerships coming up. Get ready. 2023 is actually going to be a really big year, um, especially with this work in the military and also moving it with first responders, fire departments, all types of stuff. So y'all can follow along and watch the journey unfold because there's a lot of really big things that are um, about to unfold as I think other industries are catching on and are ready for this kind of knowledge and this information to be... um, because I'm really big on education. And then I like to, I like to connect people to resources too. So um, a lot of my trainees, like I send them in, like I create the thing and then they go. And so there's a lot of really big stuff moving forward. I know right now, as we're recording this, it's retrograde season a little bit. So, you know, it's a cozy time to kind of, um, I think about like a, a slingshot yeah. It's times like the more momentum comes from the more you hold back and you just observe and allow. And then when the time's right, when you let go, you go far versus trying to force that slingshot to keep shooting. So I feel like for a lot of people, we're in this like, let's just cozy in and anchor in, but um, follow along with me, join the ride, watch, celebrate. You can connect with me on Mel Marie Yoga on Instagram. I'm really personable. So don't hesitate to reach out if you want to chat or connect. Uh, But yeah, this is such an honor to be able to share this with your community and to be here with you. Well, absolutely. And you're one of my favorite yogis to follow because of your earthy way and down to earth and approachable personality, which no matter what happens, keep that. They know you're you're still young and I want to see you really, by the time you're my age, my goodness, you might be a, have been on Oprah and all kinds of places. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Oprah, contact me. No. <laughs> oh, but I have really enjoyed talking with you. You're a wonderful spirit. 
and keep doing what you're doing. And I'm so happy to have featured you on this National Yoga Awareness Month. So peace and blessings to you. And mm-hmm. I will definitely be in touch with you. And hopefully maybe we can, you know, consider, you know, doing something down the road together as well. I love it. Always. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.